Hello and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital-focused podcast where we unpack the numbers behind the headlines. My name is Alex and I am joined today by Natasha and some friends. We'll get to them in a minute. Natasha, how are you? I'm doing good. It is totally not the week we have off right now. This is our week off, yes, but also the week when we keep working because that is the TechCrunch way. Today is a special <laughs> show. This is our Wednesday deep dive. And a couple of weeks back, we had Alex Conrad of Forbes on the show to riff with us all about kind of like deluge of funding rounds and, you know, kind of startups and so forth. And we said in the middle of that, we really should have some PR folks come aboard and chat about what they do, their life, what's changing the industry, startup tips, all that good stuff. So we are, I don't know, meeting our own promise today. And we have a, a, a collection of fine folks that we self-nominated from our own uh, literally list of friends and people we like to work with. And so we have Amy Whittleson, we have Kelsey Chang, and we have Creighton Vance. We're going to let them say hi. But this should be a really good chat. And if you are a startup and you want to learn about how to interact and, and get value out of PR, hopefully we'll have at least one thing in this, aside from jokes, that will be useful. So let's kick off. Amy, please say hello and tell the people where you are and what you do. Sure. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Amy Widowson. I'm a vice president at Zeno Group. I'm based in San Francisco. I've been in PR communications marketing since college, and I actually got started in startups, which is how I know Alex from many, many years ago. So I've been in and around technology my entire career. I'm now at a firm, Zeno Group, a communications firm based in PR. We have offices all around the world and around the country, and I work with a variety of clients, everything from technology clients to advisory firms to a couple of really cool cool education tech clients. So next up, we have Kelsey Chang. Kelsey, hey. Hello, hello. I'm a PR director at Walker Sands, which is a full service B2B marketing agency. And we specialize in PR, demand job, branding, creative marketing, strategy and web. Uh, I'm in my sixth year at the agency. And I lead a team of PR pros out here in Seattle, which is our third office. I work with clients from stealth mode startups, growth stage, and Fortune 100 companies, areas like enterprise software, clean tech, cybersecurity, and others. Um, and I would like all my points directed toward Gryffindor, please. Uh, okay. Uh, that does break our usual you know, run of Slytherin points, but we'll allow it. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. And then we have Creighton Vance. Creighton, please introduce yourself. My name is Creighton Vance. I'm based in Brooklyn. Yeah, I've been in PR agencies for about nine years now. I started at a boutique shop really focused on like C to Series A and more early stage companies, which was super valuable. We're kind of being fearless and working with founders and CEOs and a lot of scrappy thinking. I'm at Mission North now. We still work with some early stage folks, but a lot of bigger companies and public companies. Thanks, guys. So for everyone listening um, who may not know how closely we really work with journalists, I thought Alex and I could give you like a two second on what it's like, and then we could go into our lay of the land section. So, you know, my my side is I end up working a lot with PR teams and agencies and individuals when obviously covering that godforsaken funding round, but also when they're launching, you see companies start to bring on teams. Yeah, I think technology companies are very um, appearance focused to some degree. They care a lot about how they look and feel in the market. They're very curious about setting a narrative. They want to have a particular orientation. And so the PR world comes into play a lot. There's kind of two worlds that we can kind of see, the internal and then kind of the agency world. Many companies that are smaller than baby companies have internal comms people and then hire outside agencies. And so it's a bit of a mix. If you want to get the dirt on agency life, just talk to your latest friend that left agency side to go in-house. They will have notes for you. But to kick things off today, guys, we really wanted to talk about how the PR world has changed in the last, I don't know, 12, 15 months. COVID has shaken up the entire world. And we're curious about how you guys are holding up and how the pressures of work may have changed. Definitely. Um, I feel like last March and the 
months following, it was putting out fires. Um, you know, you're like, what can we do to get anything out there? Can we pivot to content marketing? Should we refresh editorial calendars, do other things like that? Right now, I think this is also like a trend that's been compounded by the pandemic, but tech tools enable us to like measure PR more than we've ever been able to do historically. It's typically a marketing lever that is unmeasurable. And so with that, there is this like intense focus compounded by like the focus on the bottom line with COVID to make sure all PR efforts contribute to the bottom line, which as all of us sitting here know, is very hard to trace and even guarantee that. Can I actually jump on that, Kelsey? The the One of the big changes that I saw at the top of the pandemic is the skills that go into media relations. Like there's communications, there's public relations, there's media relations, there's internal communication. Like there's so many things that can fall under this umbrella. And I'd say that at the top of the pandemic, a lot of it was working with clients on how to communicate very difficult things. So we're talking layoffs, we're talking potential COVID exposures. And it was, I have a background in policy and crisis communications. And so my first three months were the busiest of my career. And it was also very difficult to try and make sure that we were managing expectations and making sure that everybody felt like from from clients to to our teams, they felt like they could be themselves and and show up and 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 just be a human in the job because it's really easy to get stuck behind that constant busyness. So one thing I'm, I'm curious about, we mentioned the, the deluge of capital, the busyness of, of the world of PR, and like as Kelsey mentioned, maybe like changing focuses inside of a lot of these kind of full service marketing firms. What tips do you have for the earlier stage startups who are probably, you know, just starting to think about getting some PR help, maybe looking to hire their first indie person or first agency or make their first hire? We would love to dish some tips. Start thinking about what you want to say and when you want to say it, like three to four months before you actually start pitching, whether or not that's with an agency or an independent person. And then like make sure the CEO buys into the process from the beginning, that they invest time into it and that they start to learn about what it is and what the value is. To build on Creighton's point, I think there's often times where maybe PR isn't the right thing to do right away. You don't have messaging worked out if you're like, pre-stealth mode. Um, if your CEO isn't bought in, maybe demand gen is the route to go instead of PR. A lot of times we see early stage companies just want leads, leads, leads. And we're like, we can do that maybe through PR, but it's not a direct correlation where they could see that return on investment. I think on that too, what are your goals? If you're a small company, like, are you, are you trying to hire? Are you trying to, as Kelsey said, jumpstart your sales? Are you looking for future funding and like trying to build buzz? Like those are all very different things that require very different jobs. And I think that there's this idea that you can just hire a PR person to make all the magic happen. But if you, and to Creighton's point, if you don't have executive buy-in, then you have PR people fighting executives and like, it's just not, it's not good for anyone. And it's a waste of time and money. What's like the dream company or dream pitch or client that can come to you if you had everything your way. And they were like, we want to work with you. And here's X, Y, and Z that we have. Like, what are some minimum things you're looking for before you take them on? I can jump in. I think their availability, if your CEO is going to be your spokesperson, whoever, like they'll make time in their calendar to take media interviews, but also to do story ideation and give you some thing to work with. I think the other is trust. PR is not just pitching your company. It's creating a story around that and finding a way to insert you into the ongoing news narratives or trends. And so trust that like this tangential thing will get us back to you and we will help you like talk about it at the very end of the interview, you know, when someone says anything else to add. I think those are the two main things that create the ideal client. 
I would add, you know, if they have sick proprietary internal data, I love that. Just like, yeah, let's do some quarterly reports. Let's 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 an outbound news cycle. That's interesting. You know, like look at Zillow. Like they made they just get earned media because they're like, yeah, we'll look at your listings or or Monster or Indeed. I was gonna say Adobe pulls Black Friday data on Saturday. <laughs> like that's dope. And it's really really smart because <laughs> what 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 do we journalists love? It, it, it's it's relevant recent information. So to Creighton's point, like if you want me to cite your company. Just do what 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 PitchBook and CB Insights do, which is do all my homework for me using your proprietary data. That's a really good point. And the, I'd say that the best clients for us are the ones that understand the expectations and they understand like, look, there's this isn't a science. This isn't like an like you can't say this plus this equals a story. It's about what are you willing to talk about? What are you willing to open up a bit about? And and if those if those communications are happening and it. Also, don't assume we can read your mind. Clients, please, please just tell us what you want. Please tell us what you want and, and, and we will help you make that happen. But communication is key. Circling back to tooling before we get into kind of the future on, on kind of this boom of software that lets PR track more about its outcomes and also give companies ways to um, breathe on its shoulder. A couple of names, the Mark Memo Propel publicist quoted, there's an entire list of these out there. So the, the PR tech world, I, interestingly enough, is is burgeoning. And yeah. this was news to me prepping for this show. So I, I wasn't even really aware. I mean, my job is to send a good ass email at the end of the day to know what a good story is, to find the right person. I mean, there's three kind of buckets, I think, for PR, PR software or tech tools. It's email databases like Muckrack or Cision. There is success tracking things like Trendkite. And then there's, yeah, I guess like kind of matching stuff like quoted, but also there's like pixel tracking stuff, um, which there was a whole uproar, the whole superhuman thing. The only thing that I think is valuable is email and knowing how to like write a good story. Unlike earned media, paid media specialists, we can't quantify our, our contribution to the bottom line, but that's like both a gift and a curse. And it, it requires us to articulate our value to the stakeholders in an ongoing way and make them appreciate a nebulous, intangible thing. And that's hard to do. And that gets to why, even though y'all shared, like, I mean, the, the recipe for success in terms of like, be flexible, give us solid data points. Everything is shared on the last pod with Alex, like that won't spark a sea change for reasons about who we get to talk to, how hard it is to commit successes and just like access. We all have a love-hate relationship with these technology tools. I think at the end of the day, honestly, Google search is your best tool. It's the most reliable. It's the most expansive. And I would think most timely. I would just say that they are that. They are tools. They are things that can help make your job a little bit easier. They can shave time off things. They can help junior staff do bigger, mindful, like thought-provoking work as opposed to some, some of the things that the tools are doing. What I will say is, to Creighton's point, nothing replaces that sort of human instinct of, oh, I really shouldn't send that pitch right now. Or like, oh, I went and checked out that reporter's Twitter account and they have not written about this in a million years. Like the disconnect between what technology can pick up and what a human can just discern from your experience. Like that's why we do this job. So I'm not, you know, I think the tools have a role, but I will, I, if you just, if you think that you're going to get your, your smaller company off the ground just by, by buying one of these tools and not having a human being behind it, I think you'll run into quite a few challenges. Tooling to me speaks to a, a broader maturing to some degree of the world of PR, trying to quantify it, which seems to kind of fit reasonably well into the theme of there's so many startups building things that it's hard to kind of get attention. So I'm curious about how clients' expectations have changed, either regarding 
you know, hardcore metrics on performance from what you guys do, or, or, or just like have expectations of, of coverage for things that they do uh, come down as the volume of news has gone up? Or, or are they still expecting their seed round to make it on the front page of the Wall Street Journal uh, above the fold with a color image of the CEO right there? And no competitors, no mention of competitors. Who wants to jump on that hand grenade? I think one thing I try to educate my clients on early is the stories you're seeing in the tech crunches on Wall Street Journal are usually the exception, not the rule for what secures coverage. Just because the Series A got it doesn't mean yours will. They might have a unique founder story or it might be solving like a very like progressive or niche issue in regards to climate change tech or something like that. And so to like think about what made that different and not assume that all seed or series A's will get coverage these days. That is a really good point because it's, it's absolutely right, Natasha. I mean, like people often email me like, hey, I saw you covered this company. Here's a similar thing. And I don't have the heart to tell them I just covered a similar thing. So that actually lowers the chance that I'm going to write the same thing again. Right. And it's weird because it's not like I have a answer for companies all the time other than gut instinct, which kind of goes back to what we're talking about before. Like humans talking to humans doesn't always result in a product and something measurable. (laughs) And so I also kind of even as a human feel bad about saying no, just this morning had to tell someone that. And I was like, I know you gave me numbers and you gave me your story and you gave me all the things that can constitute this as a news story. But like something about this isn't really clicking. And I, I guess I'm wondering, like, yeah, Amy, tell me like what the reaction is on your end when you hear something like that i've never asked that question before i actually think tell us no i mean the the best relationships that i have are with uh reporters that i know who are willing to just like i don't know if they're blasting it off on the way to like the, the bus or whatever but they're like no not not for me that sort of feedback is enough for us to go back to a client and say hey I spoke to a reporter. They said this isn't a story because that helps us go back and sort of recraft and manage expectations. And I think from the previous episode, uh, Alex Conrad was talking about the disconnect between like a marketing event and wanting to tell thoughtful stories. And that's also part of our job is to say, look, if you want to get that longer piece in one of these outlets, you need to be giving more. You need to be opening up more and, and providing some sort of value to the reporter. And so getting to your initial question, getting the no is a wonderful piece of data. We can go back to them and say, like, look, it wasn't just me. Like, I think we need to build this out more. So the, the flip of that, though, and it's just to complain while I have while I have the chance, like Please do. The, the reason why I think there's a lot fewer direct no's or just like like not answering emails is that some people, and I'm not trying to make a broad comment about it, your entire industry, because God knows there's really jerky reporters out there. So no one here is holier than thou. But like, if you say, hey, this isn't for me, that person will often like keep going. They'll text you. They will yeah. call you. They will email you three more times saying like, how can we make it work? And so like, I'm almost incentivized to just like auto ghost everybody to avoid it in one of those like email hamster wheels. And my, my read, Kelsey, is that because I've responded, I'm somehow theoretically on the hook in someone's like spreadsheet. And therefore, they want to like do everything they can to, to reel me in, which is the opposite of what I want. Yeah, it's fair. I think something we also coach our junior employees is to ask follow ups, like try to get like more. Can you convert it from a note? Yes. Can you get an interview just about the competitive landscape for the industry or something like that? So it's in part us doing our job and in part kind of sucks for you all as well. And so I think that's like where a lot of the tension comes between journalists and PR is like, we're both just trying to do our jobs and like they don't mesh always. Absolutely. We d- different objectives, frankly. They sometimes align beautifully, 
and sometimes there are complete loggerheads. And I, I think that discrepancy is hard to explain to people who don't sit in our chairs because to them, they're like, well, last time we sent Alex something, he was super excited about it. Certainly this is going to be the same. And then it's a hard no. And then everyone seems to I was gonna say, you could send it yeah. five minutes later and it could be a different answer. Oh, well, yeah, because yeah. news can break in five minutes and then all of a sudden <laughs> my calendar's ruined. So it was Creighton, yeah. I cut you off like two minutes ago. I want to bring you back in for whatever it is you wanted to say. No, I mean, I disagree with everything that's been said. Like uh, our currency is responses from journalists like our we get paid because we can be like, no, like they, they said no or they said yes. And like, I think it's such a balancing act to read into a no what to do as a PR person. Do I ask for feedback and be like, totally understand. Like that said, like I thought it was a fit because X, Y, Z, like when you have time, I would love just to hear your thoughts. Like, does that fit for this situation or like, do you just take it? And like, it's a learning process to learn how best to respond to that. And, and but so much of our value is telling clients like, no, they said this, which is why honestly the Alex Conrad, you might not be special podcast uh, equity pod was so important. It's like, I, we flag tweets all the time from journalists to be like, look what they're saying. Look at this direct thing from their mouths. It's not me because that helps us set concrete expectations. <laughs> I can say your colleague Marianne has given us a lot of fodder to share with clients. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's talk about Marianne for a minute. Then we'll get to Amy. Marianne is... Not only one of the smartest people yes. that I know, she's also one of the, just the kindest. And so I think I think she struggles a lot with the saying no, because if you're a people pleaser by nature, as Marianne and I both are, it's super hard to be Dr. Frickin' No. But I, you know, even on a good week, I'm going to cover like two things from pitches. You know, it's not it's not many. So it's ninety nine point nine nine percent me being a complete jerk, which I hate. Amy, sorry. I just wanted to add a little bit of nuance to the conversation about that that decision of you get the no, what do you do with it? I'm about building relationships. And I coach the junior staff that I work with on your, as Creighton mentioned, your currency is your ability to build relationships and, and sort of maintain your spot in this world. And maybe I'm not that great at my job, but I always err on the side of, I'd rather take the no and walk away and come back to a good relationship than push super hard. And that's where I think, you know, we mentioned the tension between junior staff and senior staff. That's that really hard spot where junior staff are getting pressure from above. They're getting pressure from clients. They're getting pressure from executives to deliver. And they start pushing to a point where it starts damaging their credibility and it damages their credibility for, for later on in their career. And so what I always try to do is come back to that humanity and put myself in the journalist's shoes and go like, if I email them five times this week, they're going to hate me. And Alex, as you know, I'm also a people pleaser. So like, I think some of the best advice I got early on in my career from a senior media strategist was to protect your relationships. Like make that gut call to say like, uh, do I follow up now? Or is it better to wait a week? Because I know they're working on the story. They already told me that and they're waiting to get confirmation from their editor. Like, Use logic and above all that gut sense really does go far in PR. I want to move us on to like kind of the, the second tension and the last bit we'll talk about today, which is like this tech versus media debate and the idea that we all are out to get each other in different ways. I guess I want to start off that section by asking you guys a little bit about what failure looks like for, for you guys today. What does a story that goes wrong look like for you? For, for me. Failure is surprises. So failure is a story coming out with elements that I had not anticipated or 
that that the client hadn't seen coming. Because again, back to the human nature of this job, it is my job to sit on a call with a reporter and not I don't even ask questions. I just listen. I listen for changes in tone. I listen to aggressive questions so that I can then go back to the client and say, look, this, this and this happened. So we need to be careful for the following things. So for me, I would say a failure is if a story comes out that surprises me, I haven't I haven't been as involved as I needed to be. I think that's a failure for us, too. Honestly, like there's like that motto where like I think it's the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg where they like say like there should never be surprises on both ends. And I feel like that's a really good rule of thumb for both of us to follow. And I was, I was talking to Chrissy Farr about this the other day. It's like we have no incentive as journalists to surprise people because it ruins our credibility, too. Like we're never going to get the next story if, if people consider us, I think, the surprise journalist. <laughs> so definitely add to you. Let's double click on what surprise means, because I I feel like it's a relatively kind of loose phrase. So Amy, then Natasha, but I'm curious what you think of as constituting a surprise. If there's a negative bent to the story, the client goes into it thinking it's going to be a fawning profile. Like you can tell by the questions that are asked, you can tell by the, 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 the fact checking, like there's all of these things that you can tell going into it that, you know, it's not going to be just a, a puff piece or like, like not that they ever should be. So I would say a surprise is that I would say if an article covers an element of a client's story and the client goes, well, why would they cover that? No, we should have been talking to them beforehand about the, you know, the reporter's probably going to ask about this thing that's in your past or that like, I'd say anything that is, it doesn't need to be negative or positive. It's just anything that's in the story that the client didn't think was going to be there. Cause it's part of my job to make sure that they're expecting it if it's going to be there. I got Natasha. I, I was thinking about your comment because often mm-hmm. I will I will bring in other stuff. Like if I cover a funding round, I don't tell the company that I'm like, okay, cool. By the way, I've written 16 pieces that I'm going to link back to that bring in certain context that I think is interesting. Like I'm not, I'm not going to show them my draft, sure. so it's hard to not have some surprise, right? So what were you thinking about when you said surprise? Can you say that louder? What aren't you going to show people? My drafts. <laughs> Crazy plot twist. <laughs> oh, oh, I see what you're doing. You want me to reiterate yeah. that? Can we, can we hear that one more? In the just back. one more time. Can we hear that one more time? You know what? I'm not going to share. Yeah. For the people in the back, uh, I'm not going to share my drafts. And also, I will write a description of what your company does. And if you don't like it and you email me asking for a correction because you have a different definition, I will laugh at you. Okay. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think it's a spectrum of surprises. So I think some tech companies are surprised that we talk about their competitors. And that's not fair. They're surprised that we talk about how they raised a startup, that startup failed, even though it raised hundreds of millions of dollars. And they think that's also unfair. Even if we bring it up in the interview, if we end up including it in the story, they get mad. And so I think that that's fair game for us to include. Amy, though, I do think that, let's say, a founder's past is questionable or we still do ask them about their failed startup in the past. And I think as long as we ask them the question, we've done our job. Exactly. Preparing the client and telling them what to expect is, is everything. Like y'all know we make brief sheets. I kick myself when I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that question. Damn it. Like it's a great practice early on as a PR person to be like, really take brief sheets seriously and be like, what are they going to ask? What would I ask if I was the reporter to write this interview? And then like compare that with what they asked. I will say though, like some of this is education on our end. I mean, the reason why you don't literally name drop a competitor is because like you just don't want to give them airtime. Like you should talk around them and say like why you're better without just literally saying the brand name that literally is kind of advertising. I will say though, like this conversation about tech versus media is part of a larger cultural conversation around people who have power and people whose job it is to look at those people who have power. And it's way beyond tech media. I mean, same thing, right? I mean, like look at the last presidential administration and their view of um, questions that weren't all about why Donald Trump has the biggest hands in the world. (laughs) 
Such large hands. Just enormous. No one's going to pick up that thread because that's not a very appropriate one. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, yep, lots of people not shaking their heads. Um, I want to talk about earned media versus content marketing. This has come up a lot, especially in kind of regards to the Andreessen future publication project. Natasha and I built a news team at Crunchbase that was editorially independent, which went medium. I think it's fair to say. So I, I, I have some views about this, but I'm curious what you guys think about the, the broader focus on people doing their own writing versus pitching around uh, to the kind of traditional media, as it were. I think you need all of the above. It's not one or the other. It takes an interdisciplinary approach to Marcoms. And I think there's value in this content marketing, which is in your own channels, but also in even paid media with smaller newsrooms. We've talked about news is what's getting coverage more so these days rather than trend and evergreen stories. And so if you have one of those, paid media might be the right avenue if you really want to get in front of a specific audience. And then earned media just adds that level of credibility that you need. When I first started reporting on tech, everyone was talking about podcasts as like the new channel we're going to get our clients to be on or create their podcasts. And it was like the eye roll like you're giving me, Amy, too. I'm wondering what's next. Is it everyone becoming a, a, like a Twitter spaces slash clubhouse host? What are like the mediums you're finding your clients telling you that they're interested in engaging with the people on? I think this comes back to goals. Even coming back to the owned content question, do you just want to lay out a story and sort of walk through the dates of something that happened and late? Like, great. Great. Put that on your blog. That is that's a great way to sort of lay out the story that you want to tell. Do you want to start engaging with other people in your industry? Do you want to start you know, building up your own personal brand? OK, maybe go to Clubhouse. Like, I don't think there's a one size fits all solution. And I would be, again, going back to any small companies that are thinking about hiring PR people. I think if anyone claims that there's like a silver bullet social media for like, that's not I, I would be I would <laughs> I would maybe ask for a second opinion. Mic drop. <laughs> Sadly, we've burned through all of our time and then some. Um, but Kelsey, Amy, Creighton, thank you for coming on. Natasha, as always, good to see you. Uh, this has been Equities PR Roundtable. And uh, if you don't agree with something that was said, um, I think it's amy.widdowson at xenogroup.com. And oh uh, she would love to hear from you. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. This is Equity. We're back next week because we're actually now going on vacation. Goodbye. <laughs>